0: and mp3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, and I want to continue what I was saying last week from some of your emails and comments. Uh, It seemed to have really (laughs) exploded inside of some of you. Well, what I'm going to say will stand on its own two feet, but I would suggest that you listen to last week if you have not already listened. Okay, so Matthew chapter 25, and one of the strangest stories that Jesus told, um, and it's in chapter 25 of Matthew, verse 14. And he's speaking of the way of the kingdom of God. And he said it's like a man who's about to go on a journey, called his own slaves, entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. So then, as we saw last week, they... Invested and they multiplied, and uh, the one who received the two gained two more, and then it says, verse 18, He who received the one talent went away, dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts and the one who had received the five came and said, "I brought five more talents. Master," he said, "You entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents." The man's very excited. And the master said to him, "Well done, good and faithful slave, you were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master." which is really what the Master was after the whole time. And then um, the two talents, and he multiplies that and gets the same. The fact that the first chap had five talents and this one has two, um, the one doesn't get a higher commendation. All that the Master was interested in was their becoming one with his passion and entering into his joy are the results of, of... what they were doing. But then in verse 24, the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master now listen to what this fellow says, Master I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow gathering where you scattered no seed I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground See." You have what is yours. But his master answered and said, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seeds. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Okay. Um, What's going on here? Well, as... We saw last week, and and let me say this: that um, th- this uh, brings us to the scandal of, of th- this way of the kingdom of God. It, it's it's scandalous within the confines of religion. What's going on here? Um, that this Jesus describes us as. Uh, slaves that have been uh, exalted we we have received ultimate promotion they were slaves their entire life was in the four walls of the house and that's where they received their daily orders and they carried it out and they went to bed and now he called them into his office and gave them such a promotion they become junior partners in his business And he's leaving, and he's leaving the reward of his labors to date in their hands. And he gave them, as we pointed out last week, the five talents. And we have no way uh, of saying how much that is worth. It would be meaningless. Because uh, the matter of worth is how long would it take you to get that? A talent, a bar of gold... And I guesstimated it would take a working man 17 to 20 years without spending a penny of his wages to save up what was contained in a bar of gold but, but in those days. But more than that, the way they looked at it, this bar of gold is potential because start investing that start in the world of the marketplace in buying and selling with that bar of gold and it's going to multiply and return to you and and so that's the way of these people slaves one day junior partners the next and out in the marketplace and out in the marketplace with a freedom, and this is so important. This is the scandal of it, you say that, that the master said, I'm going away, here's the gold. Go and do what I do. Go and invest. Go and fulfill my passion. Go and think my thoughts and multiply. They didn't go to school of economics. They, they didn't have coaching in investing, He gave them these bars of gold, this fortune that they could hardly count in terms of how much it was worth, and said, now you go, off you go. And just to say it, and to say this is an image of the kingdom of God, and to look at them with, with the master's money, and they are going freely and I, this is where we, we, we've got to emphasize they were they were free they, they were to use their own initiative and as they saw the opportunities as they faced the challenge uh, they, they would invest and they would learn on the job they, they would realize I can do this and, and now if I can do this then I'll do that and and they, they become just as their master as their master freedom let let me talk a moment about freedom because they were slaves and even though as i said they were not slaves in chains but they were limited to the house and limited to whatever was on the schedule for them to do today and this brought them into what shall i say a new a new normal because their normal day was hedged by four walls and a roof and and possibly the garden, Uh, but that was it. And their normal was to receive orders and carry them out to the best of their ability. That was their normal. Now, just overnight, they are plunged into a new normal which was this freedom that that I mentioned it was a freedom but but it was not that okay I shake your hands and show you the door and say so you're free to go no no it, it was it was a freedom to live a new kind of life within the freedom of the master that they, they were still part of his world. They were now junior partners in his business but they were not free in the sense of simply free to do nothing. Free to sprawl on the sofa. No. They were free but their freedom was to now join in with the master's goals, join in with the master's passion, join in with his rush of joy as he sees his talent gold multiplying, they were, they were free with, with this new kind of freedom that was joined with the Master's freedom. Freedom in that it unleashed potential. Because it says he gave to each one of them according to their ability. He'd studied these chaps. He knew what they could handle. And so he didn't give two talents to the five-talent fellow because uh, he, he would have been frustrated. He needed more to work with. It was part of his ability. But he didn't give five talents to the two-talent fellow because he knew that would overwhelm him and crush him. And so he, he he's teasing out their potential as, as his people, his men... And, of course, giving to them the gold, their potential is joined to the potential that's wrapped up in this bar of gold to at least multiply itself. And and it's unleashed. Now, that's freedom. I mean, suddenly there's no restrictions. Suddenly there's no four walls. Suddenly there's nobody to tell them what to do in the morning. It's free to walk out there and see what the day holds. Every day now, it just opens up as a blank sheet of paper. What are you going to do in order to invest this treasure that has been put into your hands? There's no regulations. You're free. In fact, it was a freedom of permission. Permission because the master in doing all this that we're talking about he was actually giving them permission to go into every opportunity, every challenge uh, as he, with with the results, the rewards of his labor and to multiply it and learn how to do that by doing it is this sinking, I think it is I think it is freedom, it meant suddenly life was an open door I- instead of a narrow, restricted <laughs> with a lot of you've got to do and maybe even more you can't do, and you mustn't do and this is certainly, it's an open door for possible all things possible There's no limit to what I can do with this bar of gold. So off you go. You do it. Everything that you said a few hours ago, you would have said it's impossible. Now, it's possible. And dear Lord, I don't know how to do it right now, but it's possible. Potential, you see. And this incredible freedom was because they, they had faith in the declared dream of the Master. He had made his intention, his dream, his possible. He'd made it known to them and said, I give you permission to go and plunge into this kind of life they believed that now follow me carefully we've talked a lot in the last weeks about the faith of God and this is another illustration the master knowing what he knew having functioned in this for all of his life uh, he knew what could he knew the possible he knew not only his dream but he knew that it was possible dream and he knew that his intentions for these slaves is going to happen their faith was not to try and believe in multiplying the gold but rather to believe that the master believed that and they if, if, if he believes I trust my master I trust this man who, who is so generous and so good and so kind I trust him and I trust his dream and I trust what he believes of his dream in me and in that faith they, they, they went out into a new normal a new normal of possible a new normal of Unleashed a new normal of new restrictions, a new normal of what today holds. Huh, the adventure. The adventure of living out of their Master's resources, living out their Master's faith, and discovering in the doing the joy of the joy of their master, which he's going to underline that when he returns. Now, let let me say, and I'm sure you know what I've really been saying, this is the way of the kingdom of God. See, it's not the way of law. It's not the way of restrictions. It's not the way of four walls and you can't do this and you shan't do that and you, you've got to do this and try hard. and It's rather... You have been united with the Holy Trinity through Jesus Christ, God the Son, who got inside our humanity and and carried its hopeless despair and negativity and sin to death and raised you from the dead to share his life and in his ascension he receives the reward of all that he did, he sees the travel of his soul and is satisfied and he gives that to us in the Holy Spirit. And then says, now off you go into all the world and, and invest this good news, share it with, with everybody. Um, th- th- this, this is what it's all about. Th- this, is, this is it. Th- this story is this. This crazy story that says we have come into the freedom of living our lives in tandem with the Holy Spirit to share with the world this incredible gift until it increases and multiplies and returns with blessing. Well, that's the way it was. It's happening these days. Two fellows go off, but the the last one he received one. Now, now, please he, don't don't demean this chap. He too is one that the master says, "I know your ability, I know what you can handle." And the one talent, yes, it's the smallest number. But um, as we've seen, they, they were not judged on having five or two or one. It was what they did with it, and. This man does nothing. Now, this, how can I put it? This man had everything. Please hear me, because it's possible to read this and get skewed in the reading. This man had everything that the other two had. He had been picked, he went to the office, he received the promotion, he's declared a junior partner, and he goes home that night with a bar of gold, just like the others did, that had the potential of doubling, just the same as the others did. And the master had already determined that he was ready for that, he could handle it. So, that, that's a big one. And when he goes home, it sits on the table. And he and his wife sit there. Can, can you? I said last week, you make a great movie this. That, that, he sits there and he looks at it. This beautiful yellow gold bar sitting on the table. So that it takes over the table and to know that there's 20 years of labor all wrapped up in one bar of gold what on earth do we do with it well of course he knew what to do with it he'd been told get out there and multiply but he has a twisted, and I use that term very carefully, a twisted, a distorted view of the Master. Very distorted. And it was the view that he had of his Master, which was an inward attitude. It was an inward seeing, or rather not seeing. It, It was... He had broken vision within his heart seeing. He didn't see the master as he truly was. I mean, that master that Jesus describes, uh, that calls the slaves in. I mean, sit there with them. Feel feel the leather under your seat and, and, and just lean back and hear the words. See the smile on his face, the twinkle in his eye, the excitement in his voice as he promotes you and declares you to be a junior partner, and, and, and then, I mean, the sharing, the excitement with which he shares his fortune with you, and, and tells you, you know, go and go and multiply, invest it. And you can hear in the timbre of his voice that he believes that you, you can, that what he's done, what he's invested in you, can make this happen. Kind good, generous. All those terms would be true if I'm going to talk about this man. But this slave, he doesn't get it. Uh, No point in thinking where his twisted, distorted thinking came from. But he reports his thoughts and his feelings to his master. When the master returned, he said, I knew, in verse 24, he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Good grief. Where is this man coming from? Is he deaf and blind? A hard man. That's a very important word, not only in the New Testament, but also it's even found in the Old Testament. What does it mean, hard man? Okay, let me give you some of the words that this word means. It means harsh. It's got an edge to it, harsh. Um, Cruel. It's the kind of person you could imagine with a whip in their hand. Harsh, cruel. But then it has the meaning of unreasonable, stubborn. So there's there's no wiggle room with this man. You can't talk to him. You can't. I mean, don't don't, don't even say yes. But um, don't ask for a meeting to negotiate. No, there is no reason with this man you can't you can't reason with him he's stubborn that's a hard person no negotiating it it is uh, the the bible word for my way or the highway um so so uh, a hard man is oppressive it's not a joy to work for there's there's a certain fear attached to such a man He's oppressive. There's the idea of a tyrant here. I knew you to be a hard man. It means one who imposes their hurtful agenda with no thought of how it's going to affect you. They just impose their agenda. There's no compassion. And there's always the either spoken or threat of punishment if you don't do it exactly as I say. I, I tell you where it's used in the Old Testament, which I think uh, just gives you an idea of. of, of you now I've got a, a sort of face to put it to. Do you remember when Moses comes to deliver Israel from Egypt? And um, he, the very first time he meets with the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh. It is so angry that anyone would even suggest that the slaves would go free. It says he ordered that they would make bricks without straw. Now, I, I, can can you get what that means? Uh, it, it means I take the clay that I make the bricks, but there's nothing to hold the, bri- the clay together. That was the, the straw they would put in it would get the bulk, and it would hold the the clay together. And the Pharaoh said, "You, you, you think you're going to come here and tell the slaves to go free? No way, no way. I will make their slavery even worse for you even bringing that subject up. And they'll have to make bricks now, but no straw. It would double their work. But I'm not. They've got to do it in the same time. That." he was described there in exodus uh, that he was hard that, that that's it that that's it uh, do, do you remember the son of solomon rehoboam solomon had taxed the people um taxed them heavily and uh he he had building projects all of his life and Taxed the people, taxed the people, taxed the people to build and build and build all of his projects. And when he died and Rehoboam became the new king, the people represented to him and said, Please cut the taxes, give us a break. And Rehoboam consulted with the old men and they said, Yes, the people are exhausted cut the taxes, but he went to his young counselors that came to the uh, throne with him, and and they said, no, you've got to show you're a man. Double their taxes. And so he went back and said, my, my father whipped you with whips. I'll whip you with scorpions. He said, we're doubling the taxes. And he's described in Scripture as a hard man. That's it. And, and, and this, this slave said... You're a hard man. Now, where does that come from? He's not a hard man. I mean, do I have to reiterate everything this man has just done? He's not a hard man. But inside the head of this slave, that's how he sees him. And it was the image that he held, a twisted, distorted, lying image of his master, that he had, it was that, that, what can I say, paralyzed him. He looks at that bar of gold and he's paralyzed. Why is he paralyzed? Because he's terrified of the master that he's invented inside his own head. He he said, what what would happen if if I made a a, a transaction, I invested, and it it was a bad deal, and I lost money? What would happen? I'm terrified. What what, what would happen if if I try to make a deal and it's not as good as it should be? And on and on, all the ways. It seems that he has researched every way in which things could go wrong. And always because he's got an eye on this master that lives in his head. He doesn't really live at all, but he lives in his head. And he said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of you. I'm I'm paralyzed. I can't do anything because I can't do it perfectly. It's your terrible will. It's your terrible insistence, your stubbornness to have it your way and I just cower before it, and I say, "I, I, I, I don't, ha- I, I don't know how to make it happen in a way that would please you." You know where I'm going, don't you? It's where Jesus was going, because who were these people that um, he was talking to? That are really this, this last fellow. Who is he trying to illustrate here? with the Pharisees, and how did the Pharisees see God? How does the company that I call consistently religion... And and why do I use the term religion? Someone asked me that just recently. Why why do I uh, keep talking about religion? Well, you go to Webster's Dictionary, and religion is an untranslated Latin word that came into the English language. Re, which means to do again, and ligio, which means bondage, religion. The word means to return to bondage. Isn't you know, that's interesting, isn't it? That's Webster's dictionary. You don't even have to speak Greek or Hebrew. That, that's that's what it means. The word religion, return to bondage, and, and religion has this twisted idea of of what God is like, I have to say it is an image of God that has been distorted by the devil himself, for they see God, but see him as a sovereign dictator, Uh, a tyrant if you like, Um, a tyrant with an iron will. And that's all the rules that religion come up with is because they they see God as having this this narrow iron will and it's it's got all the rules to define what it looks like uh, and so um, my my future my day the whole thing is is determined it's predetermined that is a sort of robotic thing I. I've, I've, I've got to do this will. I've got to walk through life just like a robot doing this ironclad will. And, and when things happen to me and I come upon crisis and suffering, well, it, it must be part of the will that, that's imposed. And the future, it's a closed future. I I have no sense of, of Making my future, I have no sense of having much to do with it. Um, it's decided, you see. This this sovereign dictator that that is called God. Um, well, he's already decided that, and all I can do is is try and make sure I find his will. Because if I don't get into his will and do his will then I am royally messed up because that's the only way. And, and, and if I don't manage to hit that only way, then, then what? Well, huh, I'm finished. I mean, that's about it. And so wherever I turn in life, I, I'm aware of that. I don't mean I am. I, I'm talking about the the religious person, and we th- this this is a poison gas that is present to every one of us. You say But in in everything that I face in life, my work, um, that there, there's is a background, sort of that background noise that. Am I in the will of God? Is, and then you get the people who decide they, they, they're not in the will of God, I suppose. They've got to find the will of God. Because I, I've got to be this robot doing exactly what God wants me to do. Um, and I'm restricted. And I, I live in a world of you can't do this, you can't do that. You've got to do this, you've got to do that. Uh, and there's an awful lot of religious anxiety, you see, with people who look at life like this. And when when crisis comes in life, it's, I, I could weep as I look at them because they say, is this a blessing? Or is it punishment? Is this the devil? Or is it God? I, I, I don't know. Is it the will of God? We usually decide it must be the will of God that he wants to beat the crap out of us. And so we... we will of God. Terrified, you see, in case we miss it. And so... We seek this elusive will of God. It's over there or it's over there. It depends on the last speaker in charge. It's never obvious. You would think something as important as this. That it's never it's a sealed orders. You don't have to find it under a stone somewhere. Uh, have you ever been in a strange part of the country, deep into the night, and you're trying to find the entrance to the freeway? And, and, and it, I'm, I'm thinking very specifically, traveling through... Um, the desert out in um, Arizona and New Mexico and, and in the middle of the night and, and you can't see a jolly thing and, and you're trying to find these entrances that are nothing like city entrances and it's like trying to find the will of God. I'm, I'm looking for signs. And have you ever been around people who put out fleeces to try and find the will of God? Try this narrow window. I mean, you miss that little tiny entrance to the freeway and all, you know. You know. Religious anxiety, you miss it and you're doomed. Become a second class citizen. I've met people. Maybe you're listening. Maybe the Holy Spirit got you to listen tonight. Uh, you know, people who who live. Oh, I could grab you and. Almost physically drag you into grace, to because they tell me, you know, I, I was supposed to be a missionary here, and, and I I missed the will of God, and that's it. I'm a second class citizen. I missed it. I missed the perfect will. Oh, paralysis! I don't know what to do then. I don't know what to do. How can I please God? Don't know how to please him. I'm afraid to make the wrong move. I'm afraid it. What's another one? It might be me. Like who else would it be? But, and so we become passive and call it holy. There's no relationship with God. We're terrified of him. There's no adventure. We've got no concept of a lively God who is excited to go into tomorrow with us. No. Well, what does this slave do? That? He is dishonoring. That's the point. He is dishonoring his beautiful master. The beautiful, kind, good, generous, incredible grace master who would take a slave and make him a junior partner and load him with his own wealth. In fact, load him with his very self, in the sense this was the reward of his labors. And this slave says, "You're a hard man," dishonors him, demeans his master, and says it to his face as if it's something to be proud of. And and basically says to the master, "You don't even know what you're talking about because you asked of me what was absolutely impossible." Uh, and uh, you, you, he called him, in a sense, a lone shark. You know, he says, you, you reap what you don't sow. But but obviously, the way he says it, the, it, it it's a put down. He, he is saying, you, you're, you're asking the impossible. You're not asking me to sow seed and reap the harvest. You're telling me just to come with the harvest. You're asking me the impossible. I can't do that. You don't know what you're talking about to think that I could do that. You're demanding more than I could ever give. Oh, how blind. Man, do you realize, yes, this master knows you through and through. He knows. But he knows that bar of gold he gave you. It's a living thing. Take it to the marketplace. Invest. And you will find this, this thing reproduces and you'll come back with two bars of gold. You don't know who you are, so you're blaming God to demand of you the impossible. Put it like this. There are many Christians... The Christian life, if ever they think of being serious about it, is a real struggle, an impossible struggle, because they see it like this. God, you're asking of me something that could never be. Or to put it maybe another way, to them, life is a struggle to be or become who they are not. Shall I say that again? The Christian life to multitudes of people is a struggle, an impossible struggle to become someone that they are not. Or, as he said, to reap where you didn't sow. To get a harvest when there was no sowing. <laughs> Do it, it make sense? See, it isn't. That's not the Christian life. That's a religious mockery of it. Can I go back again and say it? That this salvation is not merely that your sins are forgiven and now try and be like Jesus. That is, try the impossible. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that he so loves you, he wills to unite with you and does so in the person of Jesus. God become one of us to unite with us and to place His Spirit, the very Spirit of Jesus Christ inside of you. That's the new creation. That's the new mankind. That's who you are. You you say, "I, I, I need help to deal with issues of the past. No, you don't. They were crucified with Christ, buried with Christ. The new you, the Holy Spirit's, Whole work is to show you who you are, to cause you to become who you are. Not the struggle to become someone you're not, but rather the process of like a flower opening to fully be, be fulfilled as the flower it is. Oh no, no struggle here. He's it's, it's not sitting paralyzed before a gospel that you have no clue what it means. So what, you poor miserable slave, are you going to do? I've got to keep it safe. I mean, someone might steal it. It's sitting here on the kitchen table. He, he, he doesn't see it as something to enjoy himself. I mean, one, I suppose, he could have gone out and bought the latest camel or something. But no I, I can't enjoy it and nobody else can enjoy it because I might make a mistake in sharing it so what do I do to keep this safe until the master gets back he's governed by fear he's thinking panic what can I do and of course wherever you find fear there is Uh, A perceived absence of God. You know that. Fear. All forms of fear, anxiety, worry. They're all the absence of my knowing the love of God. And so, it's almost a religious ceremony. that He buried it. (laughs) He did what? He buried it. I mean... Can can you see? I said it's almost like a religious ceremony. He's he's sort of building an underground shrine for this bar of gold. And he takes it, probably wrapped it up in a. and lowers it into the ground and covers it with the dirt. It's safe. It won't get lost, no one can steal it. And I won't make any bad decisions by trying to invest it. It's safe. It's buried. He took the potential of a bar of gold which had within it, you see, the potential, the possible of reproducing itself. It had the potential of making him the person his master knew that he was. Had all of that and he he buried it. He buried him. He buried the potential. He buried the possible. And then he invented a job that the master had never... Nowhere in the master's dream was this job. The job was, I'm a grave guardian. I'm going to guard this grave. Huh. It will be safe. I'll guard it. Oh yeah, guard it. I'm bored to tears sitting here guarding this tomb. The other chaps are out there. They're excited. They're one with their master's mind. They're dancing with his passion that they have the joy as they see this, this thing happening, this life as it reproduces through the marketplace into families and other people's lives and all in, in their, their, their hearts are beating as one with the dream of their master. Whereas this fellow, self appointed guardian of the grave boredom. Huh? What what's he think of himself? He's such... He certainly, I've already said, actually, he he did not believe what his master said about him. His master had promoted him and and said, I've promoted you because I know that you're ready for this. No, he didn't believe that. He had a shameful shame. I'm not good enough for this. I. I'm, I'm worthless when it comes to this. I, I, I don't know how to do it. I could never please my master. My master doesn't know me. He asks too much of me. I know me. I can't, I can't, I can't. And what he's asking is impossible, impossible. I know what's possible. The four walls in which... i That's the way it is. I live by my resume. All my life, this is is what I've done. I can't do anything else beyond that. It's impossible. He lived inside the confines of slave normal. And he's terrified of freedom normal that has been bestowed upon him by his master. And so, he's, he's got a bar of gold, so he can never see himself as the slave he was but he might as well because he simply buries the gold and resumes slave normal doing the only thing the slave would do is guard the jolly thing. Uh, and so there it is. Slave normal. Even though he is actually been promoted into a new freedom normal that is union with his master's mind and life. Huh. Oh. See, when the master elevated him to become a junior partner, the resume that that slave had had up to that moment is dead. It's of no importance anymore. Trash it. Resurrect, my friend, into the writing of a new resume that includes a bar of gold. Begin to think a new potential. Through a bar of gold he didn't he just said I can't you don't know me I can't they can oh they can oh yeah they can but I can't they're better than me this is an impossible challenge and so he stayed with his slave normal only added to that now he's got to handle a bar of gold which he does with a slave mentality I can't I can't it's impossible His master called him a lazy man. Well, the image that he had of his master and the way he looked at the task that was to hand and the way he saw himself, yeah, it disinclined him to move or do anything or act. It placed him firmly sitting in a cemetery at a gravestone. There's no joy. There's no peace. The words of the Master, I remember them and I remember the gold and occasionally we dig it up to look at it. But it's all so unreal. And therefore it's irrelevant. We just hang around here till he comes back. Do you follow what I'm saying here? Huh no increase, no abounding, a mediocre life at best. I I know too many people. This is the burden I speak out of. I know too many people. And their idea of church, their idea of being a Christian is that once a week you go to the cemetery and you dig up this gospel and, and... there it is. The, the golden glory of the gospel. All the, the, the love of God, the generosity of God, the grace of God, and the, the bar of gold, the talent of the gospel is alive. Let, let this loose and it will increase and abound. But no, we, we go to the cemetery and we dig up the bar of gold and we sing songs to it and we admire it and we tell each other, some bar of gold. And do you remember what he said? Isn't that amazing what he said? And then we bury it again and go home and say, We've been to church. <laughs> no, you see, the whole of this this story is that you you take what is given. This this new normal. Your new normal is as I look out upon the clean sheet. Of paper on which I write this day, the new normal is all things are possible. I, I, I have the spirit of God dwells in me. The love of God poured out in me. All things are possible today because I've been given the permission and the unbelievable privilege of giving this and investing this in people putting it out there to see it increase and abound so that I might enter into the joy of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as the love of God achieves his end. What does it mean to invest? I use that term. But what does it mean to invest? Well, let me say right away please get rid of any ideas of that investing this love is sort of big ministry. Um, Maybe it is. Maybe. But even if it is, your real investing takes place at a very different area. I mean, what I'm doing right now, I am investing this love that God has revealed in me through Jesus, I'm investing that in you. Yes, I am. And this that God has given me is increasing and abounding and multiplying. Yes, it is. But I don't want you to think that that's what I'm talking about. If, if, if that is your path, then yes, indeed, that is what I'm talking about. But... To 99% of us, and to me, real investing is not this. Real investing is in the little things of life. It is as the day opens up and the persons you meet and the situations you find yourself in, even the crisis you find yourself in, and you know you are there. with with the the fullness of, of the heart of love of the Holy Trinity in the energy, the dynamic of the Holy Spirit to apply the love of God here and here and here and here. And you read, please, this is your homework read 1 Corinthians 13 which is speaking of this love, in fact defining this love and it's in little things like patience and Kindness and not remembering hurts done to you, and so on. Or go Galatians five twenty two, the fruit of the spirit, and, and this is what I mean. You you you're investing this, and then you you watch as you see unlimited development and growth, as as the love of God uh, takes takes root in other people's lives and situations. So, uh, okay, you go to work. Well, what do I mean by investing? Have you ever thought that your presence in that job, whether it be office or factory or store or whatever, your presence there means that you are there to bless your employer? Look, before this was really developed in, in the, the scripture certainly before Jesus elevated it that we're seated in heavenly places as co-workers together with God, long before that, way back in Genesis when this was just a few promises, Joseph, who had been so, so mistreated, finds himself in the house of a slave owner, Potiphar. But how does he see himself there? He sees himself there to bless his master. Now, you're not a slave, and you're not your boss is not a slave owner. How much more? And and as I say, infinitely beyond what Joseph knew. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. You it, it says that Joseph he went and his His whole attitude was it ended in that the Lord blessed everything in Potiphar's house because of Joseph. Do you realize that your job is a lot more than just collecting a paycheck? You are there to invest blessing, invest grace, wisdom into your boss's business and not to go and say I'm taking over here, but just as you do your work, and you do your work with the Holy Spirit's wisdom and and His love flowing through you, that it is, well, what can I say? It's got the aura of the presence of God. It stands out. People don't know over the weeks and months and they realize your presence there. Is a presence that brings peace. It's a presence that brings joy. It's a presence that stops gossip. It's a presence that stops separation and anger. And, and and you go there maybe early or whatever it is, but you pray for each department. You call the blessing and goodness of God upon every department of your... Yeah. So you're investing. See what happens. Hmm. <laughs> Do you have people that are downright enemies? Well, the scripture says, call down the goodness of God upon them. It says to bless your enemies. And and to do so as a project. Acts of kindness. And sometimes that is a smile. A smile in the Holy Spirit can give the energy of acceptance and peace and bring joy to a person. You know, uh, well, <clears throat> I've started now, uh, so I'll have to continue. But and, and I sometimes illustrations uh, can can not help. But what what I'm starting, I'm going to pursue saying is that that my wife Nancy went to a new hairdresser and they gave her a list uh, of names, which hairdresser do you want? Well, she didn't know any of them. But but aware that the Holy Spirit dwells in her and all her life is in the Holy Spirit, she picked on one, and said, "I'll take that one." And not very long into the conversation, it came out, and uh, and Nancy is far more outgoing than I am. Um, she's Cuban. I'm British. <laughs> but this is what I'm just illustrating. What this is, she she said to to the hairdresser. Um, i think he said why did you pick me and and her response was that the holy spirit appointed her to bless him and that's why she picked him because it was the holy spirit who pointed his name out to her and and so she picked him because she was appointed to be a blessing to him Uh, that's well on its way now over a, a few visits as well on its way to being transforming that young man's life. That might be a, a clumsy illustration, but you get what I'm saying? You don't just go into the hairdresser, you're going to invest in that person. And in this case, it came about that she could tell him what she was doing. Sometimes you can go for months without revealing what you're there doing, but you go into... When you buy a burger, do you ever think of of just a word, a smile, a look in the Holy Spirit that's going to bring something into that server's life that wasn't there before? And what I suppose also I'm I'm trying to say is is that this is not... Look... uh, When I traveled a lot and therefore I lived in restaurants, I I enjoyed asking the waiters, who who are your favorite people here? Who, Who do you enjoy having? Who are the worst people here? And you know the saddest thing I ever heard? Because I heard it in restaurant after restaurant after restaurant. They said we dread being on the Sunday noon shift because all the church people come and when they come, they all look miserable. They're, they're snapping at each other. And they all leave us piles of booklets and tracks and tell us to get saved and tell us we're going to hell. And they never leave a tip. And we all sigh of relief when the last one leaves. I've heard that in restaurants from coast to coast. Hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? supposing that every time you go to a restaurant it is to bless your server and show that in a tip and to speak words of blessing and bring joy even in the brief time they're with you you're investing the love of God especially if you go back again and again and you can see that thing grow and you can see how they're waiting for you to come because they don't know what it is but they To sit in the lunchroom and speak intentional words of hope and encouragement. To build people up with your words. To bring hope that quietens anxiety. Well, I, I, I don't know if any of that helped. But I'm telling you this. That there are so many that the gospel to them is something that they think about and sing about and talk about on Sunday, but it's irrelevant to the rest of their life. Instead of being the talents of gold deposited in you by the Holy Spirit to give away, to invest in the lives of others. See, we're like Johnny Appleseed, which if, if you're listening outside of the U.S., you might know what that is. But Johnny Appleseed is the legend of a man who went from end to end of the U.S. Uh, scattering apple seeds, and so all the apple trees grew. We are Johnny Appleseeds. We are going wherever we happen to go, and as we go, we are planting seeds of love and all that flows from love the joy and the peace and the gentleness and the kindness we we, we forgive people see every time you forgive someone you're, you're investing the love of God there and as junior partners or well, I suppose some of you have objected to that well You see, that's what it means when it says you're seated in heavenly places. Okay, you've read that? Seated in heavenly places. Who sits in heavenly places? The whole New Testament says Jesus does because that's where the Holy Trinity is and Jesus sits. The human God Jesus sits in the Holy Trinity and you are in Him and you sit with Him which means heavenly places is a very spiritual-sounding New Testament word that you are now a son, a daughter in God the Son to actually be involved with the Holy Trinity in investing His love in the lives of humans. That's who you are. You're a co-worker together with God, 2 Corinthians 6.1. You are an ambassador of Christ that is you, when you speak he speaks your word is the word of the entire government that you represent that's who you are so make a cake fill it with the love of god and give it to your neighbor bless them well i, I don't know why i said that but that that's I do want to make this simple. This is not a great event. You're not having a crusade in order to invest. You're you're just being yourself where you are. And out from you flow rivers of living water. So, I want you to go to the graveyard, dig up that talent of gold, and go and invest it. And enter into the joy of your Lord. Father, we give you thanks for your, what can we say? Your your generosity, your goodness, your kindness that is beyond any words that we can ever find. And that you have gifted us with your very self. You have placed the reward of your work in us and given to us the Holy Spirit. Now open our eyes to see the truth of this and let our lives take a turn as we begin to sow you into the ground of those with whom we rub shoulders and let your love spring forth in grand harvest. That's the way I bless you this night. That's the way it is. Amen.